0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you for even this ability to worship under restrictions, but yet we know how much the people of God have suffered through the millennia in order to be together, two or three, and experience the blessing of your presence and of united worship and adoration of which you are so worthy. Thank you for giving us a taste and appreciation for this freedom. We do pray, Lord, for wisdom, for the leadership of our countries, and for protection and healing from even this plague. And more importantly, for the spiritual blindness and and the spiritual unrest, Lord, that people would turn and find their rest, and their hope in the one anchor, the one that cannot be shaken, though all is shaken around us. We just pray for an awakening, and Lord, may it begin even in the house of God. May we begin to take seriously these things. May we transfer our trust from the things that we have proven themselves untrustworthy to the only one who will never fail us. Speak to us this morning through your living word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together to the epistle of Paul to the Romans. Paul to the Romans, chapter 5. And we can begin reading from uh, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, beginning from verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us Sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if... By one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we had been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. For if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. The book of Romans is so rich. And I know we have meditated on it many times, but I, I still find it inexhaustible depth. What is it that makes us human? I know there's skeptics out there that try to say there is no difference between us and other animals. Or some want to say there's no difference between us and sufficiently advanced technology and artificial intelligence. But we see in this picture that, that, that the ending of Romans 5 gives us this really stark contrast, this, this, this the contrasting not symbols but archetypes of, of people that have gone before, and that uh, have had mirror um, effects. And, and I want to draw your attention to, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. There is a sense in us of oughtness, of what is right, what should be. And freedom is being redefined as instead of freedom, it's, mean, it's becoming defined as freedom from ought. Uh, what I ought to do, from a sense of of obligation, from someone else telling me what to do, freedom from doing what I ought to. But God has come to give us freedom to do what we ought. Many of you remember Vince Kinsella. And um, he he came to God uh, without agency. I think of uh, of humans. It was kind of through the Bible itself, and and it was actually through an English professor that challenged uh, that 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 he read uh, the great epic poem Paradise Lost. And uh, as he read this, and it's very rich and layered with references to all kinds of uh you know scriptures arcane scriptures in job and here and there as well as you know greek mythology and and yet you know it tells the story from the bible you know of 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 how how paradise was lost and how it was regained and in the opening lines it kind of starts in the middle it starts with satan lifting up his head in the flames of hell after being cast out from the rebellion i Finally, started re- listening to it since I had some time. I thought, you know, I've heard about it so much. Maybe I should actually, you know, find out what this paradise lost is. And, and there is Satan in the, in, the, in the flames of hell after having been cast out of heaven before the fall of man. And, and the quote, his defining, you know, attitude is, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. That was his attitude. Better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And we can see this, this contrast, this first Adam and this second Adam, Jesus. The, the first, you know, do I want freedom from moral obligation, from restrictions, from being told that I can or cannot do certain things. And his choice, his disobedience paved the way and led to a fall, a separation from God. But it was his free, unconstrained choice. It was his free will. We don't just dance to our DNA. We don't just um, follow the dictates of our biology. There is, and it's universally intuitively understood in all cultures, in all times. I don't care if you're a cannibal in the West Hebrides or, you know, ancient Egyptian or, you know, uh, sophisticated, you know, north american there is an understanding uh, that that someone else shouldn't steal my cell phone there is an understanding that someone should be under moral obligations towards me and me towards others maybe we're less reluctant to admit in The interesting thing is that there's a gap between what we know should be done and what we actually end up doing. There's philosophies that that try to snatch meaning out of despair as they give up On the idea of God and creation and the fact that we are here by purpose and by design and and so they try to snatch victory from defeat as they say well you know the implications well I'm gonna make this great leap I was discussing with a young person uh, some some film that basically was espousing existentialism and, and I remember coming across that in high school having no clue what it meant but, um, but, basically, but you know, still the teachers took us to the play of Jean-Paul Sartre and, and, and this idea that, you know, you make this great leap of faith to say, you know, there is no meaning, but I'm just going to make it up. I, I'm going to make up meaning for myself. I'm going to choose. And, and, you know, this, in this, you know, film, the person, you know, who wasn't really human chose to sacrifice themselves. And because that was a meaningful choice, No, therefore, he found meaning in his life, even though he was a robot. But robots don't make choices, is the mistake. And if we were just biological robots, then even the choice to sacrifice ourselves wouldn't have meaning. It's because we have a free choice. And because Adam made a free choice, it had consequences. Because Jesus made a free choice to obey, that it had positive consequences. And it's because you make choices. You make choices to to follow and do what you know is right, and you make choices not to. That that has consequences before a God. And you, we're not. We cannot excuse ourselves as as some very sophisticated lawyers try to do. That oh, you know, you're the you know my client. I'm sorry. This happened back in already the, the the 30s. You know, my client, you know, uh, you know, did this vicious murder after reading Nietzsche. But you know, he's just the product of millions of years of evolution, and you know, he had no choice. Uh, sorry, that's not, you can't have a legal system. You can't have anything, and that's not the way God works. We cannot excuse our behavior based on, you know, our circumstances on our choices, on, on other people's choices. Certainly things can make it more difficult. You know, if you're raised in a single-parent family, you're going to find it more difficult. If you're raised maybe with certain circumstances, it's going to be more difficult. Maybe there will be a, you will have a lot of things against you, you know, if you've had disappointments in life. But all of us you struggle to some degree. And there's Jesus. In the garden. And he's faced with a choice. Just like Adam was in a garden, faced with a choice. And there's you and I. Because you're human, you have a choice. And your choice matters. Adam chose, he chose independence, self direction, he chose freedom from, moral obligation. And death passed on all men, for that all have sinned. Then there was this verse I found a little difficult to understand, you know, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So, so is, is this saying, you know, you know, moral depravity or, you know, I, I, we point, notice it's from Adam to Moses, not Adam to Jesus. And so Paul, in his writings here, he distinguishes between the person who has known the law, which is people after Moses, who are now guilty of breaking God's law that they have been told, Who have that higher standard Um, and that's why he says you know over those sin is not imputed unless there's the law but there's still sin and there's still death even if you don't know God's law because some people would say well please don't be a missionary don't come to me don't tell me the gospel because then I'll be more guilty you know, why did you come? I remember some Eskimo saying that to a missionary. You know, you, you know you're telling me that you know uh, I, I wouldn't be guilty if I didn't know and reject Jesus Christ. Well, then why'd you tell me about him? But in, in Romans chapter 2 he, and 1, he addresses people who don't know God's law. They still have a law within themselves, as we said, universal. And they know that they have not follow that law they can their their conscience already tells them these things and so that's why sin is a universal experience all have sinned and come short of the glory of God until we come to the second Adam to Jesus who again is in the garden who is faced with a choice it's the same choice you and I make My will or God's will? That's the choice we make every day. My will or God's will? It wasn't easy for Jesus. He struggled. There were sweat drops of blood. He agonized in prayer. But he ended up crying out, not my will, but yours be done. And in that surrender... The victory was won. Yes, he followed through. Yes, he carried that cross. Yes, he took the beating. Yes, he hung on that tree and bled out his life and and chose moment by moment to continue to endure. But the choice was made in the garden. And because of the obedience of one, the free gift came upon all men. The free gift is offered to everyone today. And yet the next verse he qualifies, By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. It's not it's it's there's still a choice whether you're part of that many or not. How does it work? And that's why I thought it was interesting not to just stay with Romans 5, continue with Romans 6, where he, 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 we have the full context, and he talks about that dying with Christ, the experience of his life. We see through this whole thing, you know, we start off that, you know, if, if Jesus died for us while we were still his enemies and we were dead sinners, his death had that power, then how much more his life has the power You know to justify us right and to save us from eternal wrath now and he talks about death versus life and now we see the death we need to identify with that death and what does that mean it means me giving up that will the thing that you have control over that's why this is fair that's why this isn't about your race it isn't about how much money you can give it isn't about how great things you can accomplish mentally or physically or or relationally or social media-wise or whatever. It's fair because everyone, I don't care, you know, how wise or simple, how strong or weak, how rich or poor, is able to choose to say, not my will, but yours be done. And it's in that choice we die to ourselves. And we trust God that he will resurrect us. It's in that choice, and yes, that's something that, that we, you know, go through in the baptismal waters as we have died to ourselves, as we've died to sin, as we have um, made that choice to, to follow his will, and then we are resurrected in the power of his life how is this different how is this different than the many hundreds and thousands the the full shelves and gigabytes of self-help books of atomic habit and everything else where you just choose to do the right thing and you just try a little harder and you can be a better person that you can choose and and fix yourself if you just you know Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. How is this different? Certainly we see some people are more self-disciplined than others. We certainly see some people who who, who do uh, discipline their bodies and become athletes or who do discipline their minds and, and become great scholars. How is this different? Because this isn't about... your effort, because even those who are disciplined have that gap between what I know I ought and what I know I am. And a gap that is, we're unable to close. And Romans chapter 7 goes into that despair in great detail. The things that I want to do, I can't do. The, the, the good that I, uh, the, the, the evil I don't want to do, I end up doing. And it's, this is freedom. It's not freedom to burn down cities. It's not freedom to tear down police. It's not freedom to to, to rip down power structures and make it, because what do you have left? But you know what, Ravi always quoted Tennyson about nature, red and tooth and claw, about it all being about power and pleasure, about there's just being nothing left but one group dominating another. Is that freedom as we all live in terror? No, this is a freedom, an inner freedom, where God comes, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and changes you from the inside out and changes you so that you can do and that you can fulfill these verbs that you can say let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body because now you can reckon yourselves to be dead in sin and alive unto God now you can choose what you identify with you can and you have the power which you did not have before a power to truly be free free to choose to be a slave free yes because that is what Jesus invites you to. It doesn't look appealing on the surface. He says, come be my slave. Come surrender your will to me. But it's in that act of dying to ourselves that your will becomes empowered. Your will was not powerful enough to do what you wanted to do. Your will was trapped in the Romans 7. You know, what a miserable person I am. Wretched. But now through the enabling supernatural power of God, your will becomes changed so that you can do what you know you should. And as you align your will with God's will, that then the power of God is released in your life. And now you can choose freely to do what's right, which you couldn't choose before. Maybe you thought, and, and, and if you think that you are don't need God, I give you that challenge. Go ahead, try to do what the Bible says is right on your own. Go ahead, see if you can. If you think you're truly free. It's much like, as I've said this many times, you know it's like the, the dog who's tied to the post, who thinks he's free, until he tries to chase the rabbit beyond his chain, and then all of a sudden he finds, And if you think you're free, go ahead. try to follow God's standards. AND YOU WILL FIND THE CHOKE OF THAT CHAIN OF SIN. BUT NOW THAT WE HAVE BEEN FREE, DOES THAT MEAN WE ARE NOW AUTOMATA? INSTEAD OF DANCING TO OUR DNA, WE ARE POSSESSED BY THE HOLY SPIRIT AND WE AUTOMATICALLY DO EVERYTHING THAT'S RIGHT? ARE WE SPIRITUAL ROBOTS? No. There are these two errors, right? The, the one error Paul addresses, saying, you know, which, which we see in cultural, shallow Christianity, well, okay, Jesus died for me, so I'm going to be forgiven, so it doesn't matter what I do. Well, God forbid, he said, how shall we that are, are dead to sin live any longer therein? But we're neither free to live as saved sinners, nor are we... Um, or are we automata? God gave you free will, and He's fixed it inside of you, so you can choose. But you have to exercise it. As as Hebrew says, those who, by exercising, know the difference between right and wrong, because they've actually worked with it. For you, when the first day when church was opened, was it difficult to get up that morning? To actually have a shower to get dressed wasn't it difficult I know it was more difficult for me all these days of you know just sliding out of bed and going the five feet to the computer and now having to make myself presentable it was difficult because I hadn't done it for a few months it was daunting it was even emotionally and you know mentally oh I've got to remember to you know do all these things The state of my hair matters. It didn't before. My family just had to put up with it. It, it, It's a minor analogy, but what we need to exercise the free will God's given us so it doesn't wither and wilt and become. And and that's true, you know, as as maybe, you know, we we can, you know, in our hiding in our pandemics, we've lost some of the 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 habits, the things that took effort and energy, the that there is, but also things come out. Then you know who who am I really when I don't have all these external accountability, you know, expecting me to appear and to act a certain way. What are my real priorities? What really comes out here? What are my real thought patterns? And and that's why Romans six says. Jesus has died. He's given you the ability. Now, what do you choose? You need to make those choices. There's choices about what I do see on that computer screen or what I do spend my time on or maybe more subtle, what I do think on. Do I dwell on fear? Do I dwell on resentments? Do I dwell on self-pity? Do I dwell on, uh, on, on, on my inadequacy and, 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 and drill myself down? On these negative th- thought patterns, do I isolate myself as I reinforce these negative things? Because what you think is a choice. What you think is a choice. And what you think matters, what you think is where the battleground is, according to 2 Corinthians 10 where we've been given weapons that are mighty, that are able to bring even our thoughts into subjection to Jesus Christ. So, the choice we have before us, freedom that is exercised, that is godly, freedom to be like God, freedom to become something that we're not ashamed of, Versus freedom to erase the things that make us feel guilty, but then inwardly we despise ourselves and despise and decay. Given this freedom, it needs to be exercised through the power of God, not through self-effort in order to become more in the image of God, in his glorious glorious image from glory to glory. May God bless these few words. Could someone choose this song, please?
1: Many call the um, Book of Romans the Romans road. The Romans road out of bondage into true freedom. And uh, this morning, if you recall, we've heard many times the word power, the power of sin, and the power over sin. The Book of Romans chapter 6 talks about dominion, of sin, that we should not allow sin to have dominion over us, mastery, for which we would be slaves to. The thought came to my mind as um, I was listening to the verse in the book of Hebrews that says, verse 14 of chapter 2, for as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that is, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. For he verily took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. It says, Christ did not take upon himself the nature of angels. What is the nature of angels? They're spirits, ministering spirits. But he took upon himself the seed of Abraham, which is what? The nature of flesh and blood and soul. And what really grabbed my attention was the verse that says, that we could, through his death, he might destroy the works of the devil, or the power of death, that is, the devil. Through the death of Christ, he could destroy the power of death. How does he do that? What is it that gives us power over death? And what did... The devil have that he could have power over death or power how does it say here the power of death the way that the devil has power of death is by keeping you blind keeping you blind to the things of god it says in second second corinthians chapter 4 It says that that the God of this world has blinded their hearts that they would not believe. He's keeping them from the truth. Keeping them from the real serum that will give them victory over the spiritual death, which is the blood of Christ. And Jesus said in in John chapter 8, he says, you are of your father the devil. You're doing the things what the devil's telling you to do. So the power of death that the devil has is when he tells you in your mind lies that you keep following. And you keep following until the day you die. And not only are you spiritually dead now, you will become physically dead and then eternally dead being separated from God because He's keeping from your mind the truth through lies, through deception, through procrastination, putting it off. As long as you can put it off, you'll die. If you don't get the serum on time, you will die. So it's not that the devil has a a physical you know bondage over you where he's handcuffed you, but he's got your mind captured. And Jesus said in John chapter, John chapter 8, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, free from sin and free to serve the living God. Marx once said that religion is the opium of the masses. It's the drug of the masses. He was dead wrong. Or maybe he was dead right in the sense that religion will destroy you, but a relationship with Jesus Christ will save you. Religion will not save anyone unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus said, if you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you will have life. What does that mean? If you imbue me, if you take me in, if you take me into your heart, if you take me into your mind, you will have life it will free you from death it will give you power over death and eventually eternal life and this is life eternal that you may know him as the only true God and Christ his son so I pray that one of the biggest weapons you have now in your hands for those that do not know Jesus Christ is the truth The word of god which lives and abides forever that's how jesus overcame the devil in the garden that's how jesus overcame the devil on his 40-day temptation he quoted truth he repelled the devil with his truth and as long as you just keep on sucking in whatever this world has to give you because that's that's how the devil works he uses his demons he uses his people to Infiltrate your mind with falsehoods, with lies, with procrastination, with every single excuse just not to take of the truth which is able to set you free. May the Lord bless the word to all our hearts. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.